All right, if you have your Bibles with you, uh, we are going to be in the book of Mark. Mark chapter 6. Uh, 2020, is the book of Mark is kind of our center point for, um, for our sermons. We, we kind of wander away from Mark from time to time, but we're going to head back uh, and pick up Mark chapter 6, verse 30. If you don't have a Bible with you, you should see a blue one in the pew back in front of you. Uh, we would love for you to use that one. Let me tell you something. That bi- blue Bible is the cleanest Bible you will ever see. We wiped them all down. And so grab a hold of those. If you need a blue Bible, take one home with you. We would love for that to be our gift to you. Maybe you know somebody who needs a Bible. We'd love for you to give that Bible to them. Um, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Let's open our Bibles. Let's grow in our faith today. We're going to be talking about the wilderness and we're talking about the wilderness. Uh, when I hear the, what do you think about when you hear the word wilderness? I think about uh, seven years ago when Mallory and I lived in California. We drove through the Mojave Desert. You know that where that? Have you heard of that? It's the hottest place I've ever been in my life. Like 118, 120 degrees outside the car, and it's a wilderness. It, it, it's cemented in my mind as a wilderness because I remember going on the highway that cuts through the Mojave Desert, and I remember being on a quarter tank of gas and seeing a big sign that said, last gas station for 35 miles. And so what do you think I did? We can make it, baby, let's go. And about 15 miles in, I thought, "Mm, let's turn around, let's go back. The wilderness is the wilderness because there's nothing there. That's what makes it the wilderness. There's nothing there, nothing life-giving. There's no gas, there's no water, there's nothing. There's not, it's not life-giving. The wilderness is the wilderness because there is nothing there to sustain life. Now, as we read in our Bibles, all throughout Scripture, we find God's people in the wilderness. You realize that? Let me give you a few examples. After the people of Israel were delivered from the the Egyptians, delivered out of slavery, where did they wander for 40 years? The wilderness. Moses, before he took the people of Israel, before God used him to take the people out of slavery, where did Moses tend goats and sheep? The wilderness. We meet John the Baptist in Mark chapter 1, months ago now. Where did we meet him? In the wilderness. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. King David escaped from from King Saul into the wilderness. The prophets all spent much time in the wilderness. Why? Why? The wilderness is so precious to God's people, and the wilderness is so much a part of our lives even today, Because the wilderness is a geographic illustration of this spiritual truth. We have nothing without our God. Are you with me? God uses the wilderness for His people in Scripture to slam home the theological truth that we have nothing without God. Now, we, we don't live in a wilderness. I am the least wilderness man you will ever find in your life. 
I don't want to go camping. Give me a hotel room. Okay, that's, that's who I am. You might be like me. However, we all deal with wildernesses in our lives, don't we? We all deal with loneliness at times, don't we? Some of us are in the wilderness when it comes to finances. I mean, money, I've been in the wilderness. Some of us might be jobless. I'm in the wilderness. I don't have anything to work toward. I I don't know what to do. So it doesn't just mean geography. It means wilderness of the soul. And the truth is, when we know Jesus Christ, we see this, and when the Holy Spirit teaches us this, it becomes so obvious that this universe that we live in is an absolute desert. The entire universe. It is devoid of life. It is sweltering. It is dangerous. It is deadly. It is terrifying. It is bone dry. It is dark. It is dreary without Jesus Christ. Without Jesus Christ, we are lost in the wilderness. So today, we are going to find Jesus and find His disciples in the wilderness. And God's going to tell us through His Word that there are, He's going to show us, there's many things that Jesus provides for us, but He's going to show us there are five things that Jesus alone provides for us in the wilderness. So if you have your Bibles with you, let's read together. So this is Mark chapter 6. So big number 6, little number 30. We're going to read to little number 56. Really exciting passage, so uh, I'll read this out loud. Why don't you follow along with me? Verse 30 goes like this. The apostles returned to Jesus and told Him all they had done and taught. If you remember, a little commercial break. If you remember, I'll give you a gold star because it's so long ago now. But Jesus sent out His disciples. Gave the, he gave them His authority, His power to heal, cast out demons. And they went and they taught and they preached the good news of Jesus and came back, and they're all excited. And so they're telling Jesus how they, what their experience was in this mission work. Verse 31, And He said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place through the wilderness and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them. Isn't that good that our Jesus has compassion? He has compassion on them because they were sheep without a shepherd. Are you a sheep without a shepherd? And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. This is the wilderness. And the hour is now late. Send them away to go in the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? This huge crowd? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. 
And taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Quick commercial break. 5,000 men. The other Gospels say that there are women and children there. So scholars think that we're talking a crowd of 20,000? 25,000? Verse 45. Immediately, He made His disciples get into the boat and go before Him to the other side, to Bethesda, where He dismissed the crowd. After, and after He had taken leave of them, He went up to the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. And he meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought he was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And when he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astonished, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. And when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and moored, by, moored to the sea. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began bring, to bring sick people on their beds to, whatever, to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages or cities or the countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplace and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well." All right, take a deep breath. What an action-packed series of events that we see. So let's talk about five things that Jesus provides us in the wilderness that we could get nowhere else. The first thing that we see Jesus provide is Jesus is our rest. Isn't that good news? Jesus is our rest. The disciples come. They're probably excited. They've done things like casting out demons and healing people in His name. They've preached the Gospel, the good news. They come to Jesus and they're telling Him how excited they are. And these miraculous events are so incredible that people are now following the disciples. And there's so many people coming and going, begging the disciples to heal them or cast out demons or to preach to them or something. They want to see these miraculous things. That these disciples who are tired from their missionary work, they can't even eat. And what does Jesus do? Now, if Jesus was a good megachurch pastor, what's He going to do? Hey, you got all these people coming. No, eating can be later. You go bring them in. Make sure they bring their wallets and we're going to bring them into the church. We're going to have a, the biggest church in all of Galilee. That's what a good megachurch preacher will do. What does Jesus do? You need, you need some rest. You need some rest. So He puts them in the boat and they begin to cross the sea of Galilee. I don't know about you, but I am incredibly encouraged that my Savior cares about my rest. 
He's not a boss who has to answer to some other boss that has to give you as many hours as he possibly can, squeeze as many hours out of you as he possibly can for the bottom line. He's not that kind of boss. He cares about your soul. Isn't that good news? And we see this wilderness thread throughout these five events, and we see them connected to the other wilderness event, Israel in the desert. When the people of God were in the desert the first time, when they received the Ten Commandments, what was one of the Ten Commandments? Honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. What's he saying there? He's commanding his people to take one-seventh of their time on earth and dedicate it to rest. That goodness. Now, for many of us who might be workaholics, we say, one seven, that's a lot of time. I can make a lot of money during that time. I can put a lot of work in during that time. I can, get a, I can do a lot of things in that one seventh. But for the people of Israel who are coming out of slavery, what did that sound like to them? Freedom! For people who have been slaves for hundreds of years, that's freedom! Only free people can take a day off. What a blessing. And this is not just a thing for us. We see God even even show us this when He creates the universe. What does He do on the seventh day? God rested. Jesus tells us in Matthew 11-28, Come to Me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. What a God we serve. Rest is good and godly, not only because it is good for our body, our mind, and our soul, but true rest is a display of trust in God. It's a true display of trust in God. I can rest from work because God provides for all my needs. I can rest from worry because I know God will take care of me. I can rest from trying to prove myself to others. Anybody else here a people pleaser? People, raise your hand if you're a people pleaser. Yeah. There's more of it. We need to form a club here. Any other people pleasers? I can rest from trying to prove myself to people because God has accepted me in Jesus Christ. So who else matters? And don't forget, in church, churches have a, we do this poorly. We can rest from the tyranny of the good. We can rest from the tyranny of the good. Do you see what's happening here? There's a lot of people that want to come and hear the good news of Jesus. There's a lot of people who want to come and, and be healed and see the miraculous power that Jesus has and His disciples are displaying. They want to see these things. That's a good thing, isn't it? Wouldn't it be a good thing if we had 300 people show up for the 11 o'clock service? That'd be great. We'd want that. That's a good thing. But Jesus says it's not the best thing right now. The best thing for you to do is to rest. So church, churches, we, get this, we, we have a hard time with this. Do we let the, that the good things burn our people out? 
Us churches are notorious for that. Some of you have experienced that. I know you have. I know you have. I haven't done a good enough job for you. I can rest in all these things. Resting in the Lord is a declaration that we are not slaves to work or to money or to worry or to people. We are free in Christ because only free men and women can choose to rest. And ultimately, the best news about this whole thing, ultimately, Jesus provides rest from self-righteousness. What does that mean? Jesus provides rest from you trying to be good enough for God. Can you be good enough for God? No. Isaiah, we just finished Isaiah. Isaiah Isaiah 40. Isaiah says, even my best works are filthy, stinking rags to God. The best sermon I ever preached will not, will not bring me one iota more love from God. Jesus says, I will live the perfect life for you. I will take care of your sins on the cross. You can't do it. So Jesus says, in your spiritual life, as you're trying to be near God, rest in Jesus. Isn't that good news? My girls and I, we just went through Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. Isn't that good news? That's the best news you hear all day. You are accepted by God only through your faith in Jesus, saying, Jesus, you have to do it. I can't do it. And as you approach Jesus in faith, you are saved. Can I get an amen for that? That's beautiful. Thank you, Jesus. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it any other way. If Jesus can't get me there, I can't get there. Second thing we see is we see that Jesus is our understanding. As they make a way across the sea, it would be about a four-mile boat ride, and that ride was all the rest they really ended up getting. It's enough, probably. They probably had a chance to eat, maybe. And get a picture of this. Going across four four mile boat ride. The people saw what they are doing and they run after the boat. How amazing was Jesus? How incredible were the things that he was doing? How incredible are the things that he was doing? These people see the boat. They get on the shore, they run after the boat, and they get there and they're all waiting for Him with big smiles on their faces, with their sick grandma, whatever. They, they're waiting for Jesus. And you can just imagine what the disciples are thinking as they're pulling up to that shore. We just left these guys. Can't I get some rest? Can't I get something to eat? Come on, Jesus, sh- send them away again. And Jesus steps on the shore. He sees these people and He has compassion on them. And he sees them as what? Sheep without a shepherd. Instead of being frustrated that his and the disciples' rest was interrupted, Jesus saw the crowd, saw their faithlessness. They were there for the signs and miracles. And Jesus, 
Instead of casting them away, Jesus teaches them because they were sheep without a shepherd. Sheep without a shepherd. That's an important phrase in Scripture. Sheep without a shepherd. Sheep without a shepherd, they die. Sheep without a shepherd, they die. This is how helpless sheep are. I heard this just the other day. blew my mind. If a, if a sheep falls on its back, it can't ride itself. It needs a shepherd to come and flip it back over. That's how helpless sheep are. Sheep without a shepherd die. Ezekiel 34.5 So they were scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the wild beasts. There are wild beasts out there trying to get our souls. And they look like alcoholism. They look like greed. They look like self-righteousness. They look like false religion. Numbers 27.17 Who shall go out before them and come in before them? Who shall lead them out and bring them in that the congregation of the Lord might not be as a sheep that has, have no shepherd? So Jesus looks at this crowd. He looks at this crowd. And He knew that they were helpless, lost, without understanding of God without understanding of who God is and what He requires, and without hope for salvation. And my friends, outside of Jesus Christ, we are in that crowd. Sheep without a shepherd. And so he says that Jesus teaches them many things. Maybe He taught them the Beatitudes. You know, blessed are the poor. Blessed are the meek. Although maybe He did that sermon again, but we don't know exactly what, but we can be very confident that He's going to preach what Mark told us He was going to preach. The very beginning of our series together, Mark 1, 14-15, you don't have to turn there, I'll read it for you. It says this, this was the message they taught. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the Gospel of God, the good news of God, and saying, the time is fulfilled and the Kingdom of God is at hand. This is message. Repent and believe the good news news that's what it means to have a shepherd for Jesus to be the shepherd of your life is for you to repent and believe the good news that Jesus provides salvation for those who have faith in him that's what it means for Jesus to be your shepherd this is the most important message that any of us could ever hear this is, church, this is the most important message that you could ever communicate. This is the most important message you could ever teach somebody, tell someone, parents. This is the most important message you can teach your children. Doesn't matter what grades they get at school if they're like sheep without a shepherd. Doesn't matter what kind of great job they get if they are sheep without a shepherd. It doesn't matter if they think you're the cool dad or cool mom if they are sheep without a shepherd. Doesn't matter all the extracurricular activities that they're doing if they are sheep without a shepherd. It's all lost. And this again moves our mind to another time when God provides teaching for His people in the desert. Jesus provides the Ten Commandments in the wilderness. Jesus is our only source of understanding, our only true source of truth. My friends, and you know this, if you haven't seen this in the last two months, you just 
don't have a television or a computer screen. The world is a desolate wilderness when it comes to the truth. If we've learned one thing the past few months, that's it, isn't it? Fake news, alternate facts, like that's a real thing, alternate facts? Redefining marriage, redefining life, redefining biology, redefining justice. And not only that, outside our own hearts will lead us astray. Our emotions are untrustworthy, aren't they? Our desires are bent towards sin, aren't they? Let's be honest. Can you really trust yourself all the time to do what's true and to know what's true? I can't. So, Facebook, Fox News, CNN, YouTube, my own brain are all trying to be my false shepherd. All of them are trying to shepherd your souls. The only one who provides true understanding is God, the Creator of the universe, who has revealed Himself in the inspired, inerrant Word of God. And He also came and walked among us. Why do we care so much about this, this Bible? Why do we care so much about this book? Why do, we preach it? Why do we preach it for 40 minutes? Why do we teach it in Sunday school? Why do we do these things? Because it is our only source of truth in this wilderness of a universe. It's the only trustworthy source of truth. Anything I say up here that doesn't match with this, you need to throw it out and probably get a new preacher. I mean, come talk to me first, right? Don't just get the committee. Get, come talk to me and let me repent of that. But are you with me? Jesus, number three, Jesus is our satisfaction. And we get to one of the most incredible miracles that Jesus has performed. And this is a real miracle. It's not, a, it's not an analogy. It's not a nice, neat story. It really, really happened. Jesus is our satisfaction. So Jesus taught late into the day. How would you like to be at that sermon? You start in the morning, you go late into the day. Get out of... I mean, we're only at 9.45. I can teach till 12, right? Isn't that how this... Oh, this is the first service, right. Okay. Jesus teaches all throughout the day. The disciples who are probably sleep deprived, maybe they got a bite to eat on the boat, who knows? I think the disciples are, are hangry. You know that phrase, hangry? You're angry because you're hungry. You know, they get, they're in that zone. So the disciples come to Jesus and they're probably, maybe they're hearing it from the crowd or maybe they're hearing it from their stomach and say, Jesus, you got to send this crowd away to get something to eat. We're out in the wilderness. Okay? We're out in the wilderness. Yeah, there's, not all wilderness is desert. There's nice green grass, but there's nothing to eat. There's nothing that's going to sustain life out here. So, Jesus, you need to send these people away. So Jesus tells them what? He says, you feed them. Now, there's what, we don't know exactly what he meant by this, but he could have meant, hey, I have given you authority. Just a day ago, you were casting out demons and healing people in my name. You've got my authority to do this. Feed them. And they show that they don't have the faith to do that. And so they say, well, well, they talk to the treasurer. Hey, come here. How much do we have? We have 200 denarii. It's not a small amount of money. It's about eight months worth of wages for the average person. But it's not enough money to feed 25,000 people. 
So they say, what am I going to do? Take this and buy food for these people? So Jesus says, how many, what, what do we have? So they come and they, they show, we got, we got five loaves of bread and we got two fish. Now, when I grew up and in all the little kids' Bibles that we have for the girls, these loaves are like big loaves of bread. You know, you know the picture, right? Now, from the other Gospels, we know that a little boy had these. What mom is going to, I heard a preacher says, what mom is going to send five big loaves of Wonder Bread with their son out to here? Nobody. That's not how it worked. What they're talking about is when they say loaves of bread, they're talking about little cracker-like substances. They're talk, when they're talking about fish, they're not talking about the big fish that you lie about catching in the lake. You know, they're talking about, they're talking about this, these little pickled, salted fish. So that's, that's what he had. He probably fit in both hands. Jesus, this is all we have. This is all we have. And then here's another miracle that gets overlooked. Then Jesus splits them up. Tells them, okay, everybody, organize yourselves into 50s and into 100s. Now this is going to bring danger onto Jesus and the disciples. Because if you think that the Messiah, that Jesus is coming, that's going to kick Rome out, and you've got 20,000 people, you've got 5,000 men, sitting here on the grass, and Jesus starts organizing you into hundreds, what are you going to think? We're, we're, he's putting us in an army. Yeah, let's do this thing. And so actually, the other Gospels tell us that they get so worked up over this, thinking that they're an army, seeing that Jesus makes food out of nothing, that they want to make Jesus king by force. That's what the, others, that's what the other Gospels tell us about this event. So Jesus spreads them all out. They think they're armies. They're not armies. Jesus prays over the food. And the picture I get in my mind and is he has these, these two handfuls of little bitty things and he starts handing it out. Handing it out. He says, go give this to the people. And they go to the first row and he's handing it out. They come, he's handing it out. Keep handing it out. Keep handing it out. Going and going and going and going and going and going and going until everybody is satisfied. Now, the original language likes to, likes to give us a little bit more um, clarity on what that means. The idea is they all gorged themselves on this food. It was something special. They gorged themselves. Think about how precise this is. They had 12 baskets full at the end. Now, again, in the little Bible we have for our kids, you know, the baskets are like as tall as I am, right? No, these were like little baskets to carry with you, like little backpacks or little bags. 12 full. Think how precise that is. You're feeding 20, 25,000 people. How precise do you have to be? Why 12? Well, takes us back to the wilderness at the beginning. 12 tribes of Israel in the wilderness. God's people in the wilderness. Probably has a symbol for that. Maybe it's just because there are 12 disciples. You didn't get to eat. You're hangry. Here you go. Here's a whole, ba here's a whole backpack full of bread and fish. We don't know exactly what's going on there, but we do know that that was precise. How powerful is our God? And the biggest connection we need to make in this wilderness connected to the past wilderness of God's people is what? God providing bread for His people in the wilderness. What was the first bread called? Manna. The people of Israel received manna falling from heaven, a miracle, so that they could survive in the wilderness because God is our only source of satisfaction. 
And Jesus is showing us that just as God provided in the wilderness for them, manna from heaven, Jesus is showing us, I am God standing among you. God provides food for his people in the wilderness. And I am doing that. I am God. That's what Jesus is saying. Isn't that the name for man? Isn't that what manna means? What is that? The kids say, man, I think that's what it means, isn't it? Yeah. So, the message is Jesus is God who is our only true source of satisfaction. Do you get the picture in your mind? 20,000 people eating this food like, this is the best bread and fish I've ever had in my life. Gorging themselves on it. That's what Jesus provides for His people. We will never be satisfied in earthly relationships. I don't care how good your spouse is, you will never be satisfied in that earthly relationship. I don't care how good your kids are, they will never provide for you true satisfaction. I don't care how good your job is, it will never be satisfying. I don't care how big your bank account is, it will never be satisfying. I don't care about anything. Nothing will satisfy you like Jesus Christ, the God-man. And the other Gospels even make this even clearer. They record this event and they say the next day the crowd comes up and says, hey, feed us again. And Jesus says, no, no, that's not how this works. I'm not just here to feed your stomachs. I'm here to feed your souls. And then he says what? If anyone truly is going to follow me, he must what? Eat my body, drink my blood. People first go, well, that's kind of gross. And then they start thinking about it. They think, well, I don't want that kind of relationship with you. I'm here for the food. I'm not here for you to save my soul. I'm here. I'm good if we're going to be an army. I'm not here if we're going to be your followers, your disciples. I'm not here if we're going to be your church. Jesus is our source of satisfaction. Jesus is our source of courage. Jesus is our source of courage. Immediately. So you remember, he's, he's putting them into armies. He's putting them into groups and armies, they think. And so, so Mark tells us immediately after that event, every, everybody ate, they got their backpacks full of food. Immediately, Jesus shoves the disciples onto the boat and says, get out of here. And he deals with the crowd. Why does he do that? Well, the other Gospels tell us this, this crowd was fired up. Give us our swords. Give us our spears. You made bread. Make so, some armor. And let's go. Let's do it. Let's kick these Romans out. We don't have to worry about food. You make us food anytime we want. We don't have to worry about getting cut with a sword. You can heal us. I mean, let's do this thing. They try to take him by force. And the other Gospel says Jesus flees up the mountain. He's not about earthly kingdoms at this point. And so, Jesus is up the mountain and He's praying. These poor disciples have been on the lake now and it's, about, it's between 3 and 6 a.m. Jesus finishes praying. He looks out and sees their boat on the water and those poor guys who are expert fishermen, expert sailors, that's what their job was, most of them. They're in the middle of this sea and it's they're getting buffeted by the wind. They're not making any progress. And so Jesus said, well, i got to get to those guys, and I'm God, so I'm going to get to them. And he goes, 
to them by walking on the water. And you can imagine the disciples, they're, they're, they're even hangry. Well, they might be the full. Maybe they're still hangry. Maybe they haven't eaten their food. They're, they're trying to save their lives. They're getting all the, pulling all the ropes and they're doing all these things around here. They're yelling at each other, screaming at each other. This guy's a tax collector. He's not doing any good. He's just, you know, he's just sitting there and they're, they're, that's, the, that's the energy that's in that boat. And it's dark and it's early. You're tired. And all of a sudden you see something coming at you across the water. Now you're getting buffeted by these waves. And most of you are, are fishermen and sailors. You're, you're familiar with this area. You're familiar with this boat. And you're also familiar with the folklore about that last wave, the one that sinks your boat. You know what's on that last wave. In that last wave is a water spirit that looks fiery. And that last wave, the one that sinks your boat and kills you all, will have at the peak of it something white and shining. And you think you're dying now. You don't know where Jesus is. And this white-robed man is walking towards you. And what do you do? You're terrified. This is it. We're going to die. I know we're modern people. We know that water spirits aren't a true, real thing. But you know what? You're in that boat. You don't know what you're going to think. So they saw Jesus. They thought He was a water spirit. They screamed and screamed because they were terrified. And Jesus comes and He passes by the boat. And what does He say? It's beautiful. He doesn't say, you knuckleheads, grow up. He says, now He might do that. He might do that. He sort of does that other times. He says, take heart. It is I. Don't be afraid. Isn't Isn't that lovely Isn't that a lovely message for Jesus to send these cowards that are a lot like me and you? Isn't that amazing? Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. It is I. Those words are a bit ambiguous in this translation. It It could just mean when it says it is I, or he could mean it is I, I am. If you've been in church a while, you probably recognize that phrase. I am. When Moses, going back to the other wilderness, when Moses asked the burning bush, the God in the burning bush, who sent the burning bush is sending Moses to take the people out of slavery, the burning bush says, Go to him. Moses says, Who do I tell is sending me? What's the burning bush says? Say, Tell him, I am that I am. Jesus is walking on water. Only God can do that. He comes up to these terrified people. Be still, take heart. I'm God and I'm right here. I'm here. And these these disciples were good Jewish boys, so they also knew the book of Job. Job 9.8 says, Who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea? Who alone does that? God. Jesus is God. Take heart. I am that I am. Don't be afraid. And Scripture says, Mark tells us that they were astounded and they were confused and they were dim-witted. He says that they didn't understand the bread from heaven that He gave them, saying that He's God. They didn't quite understand Him walking across the water. I mean, they didn't get it. Doesn't that give hope to you and me when we don't get it? Isn't that nice? They don't. They still don't get it. 
Jesus is God, and He is there, and God gets in the boat, and the waves cease. We've seen this before. And Jesus is God, therefore He is the source of our courage. It's not a big leap to to take this to our own lives. In the storms of your life, who is with you, Christian? God. God is. In the storms of life, we can take courage. Not because the storm is gone. Maybe the storm is there. We don't take courage because the storm is there. We take courage. The storm is gone. We take courage because Jesus is in our boat. Jesus tramples the sea underfoot. He tramples all our fears under His feet. What are you afraid of, Christian? What are you afraid of? And finally, finally, Jesus is the source of everything in the desert, in the wilderness. Whatever the wilderness is in your life, the only source of good and understanding and courage and satisfaction comes from Jesus. He is everything. We see Jesus is our healing. So they get to shore. The people recognize Jesus and they run back home and bring Him all their sick and dying friends and relatives. And they have an incomplete faith. They think that Jesus can do something miraculous. They bring people to Him. But they think that there's some kind of mystical, magical, shaman thing going on that if we could touch His robe, He doesn't even have to know about it. If I could touch His robe, then that power will kind of wash over me. That's not God. That's a very incomplete faith. Jesus is the, they don't understand, Jesus is the source of their healing. He's going to heal who He's going to heal when He's going to heal it for His time and His purposes. In His mercy and compassion and grace, Jesus may heal us physically. He might heal you. Then why? Why does He do this? I don't know. I don't know why He might heal you. Or He might not heal you. I don't know. But there's a million reasons why or why not He might or might not heal you. But we know that all of them are going to be for your good and for His glory. Your eternal good and His glory. And so they come and they, as many as touched Him were made well. As many as touched Him were made well. And that's amazing in itself, but this also gives us a picture for your and my spiritual healing. That's what we're supposed to think about here. We're supposed to say, wow, He is God. He heals people. But we're also supposed to see this is the source of our spiritual healing. That all of us are tremendously broken due to our sin. All of us are. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of that sin is death. All of us are physically and spiritually sick. And just as Jesus set foot on the beach... And all these poor people who didn't have all their stuff together, who weren't champions of the faith, who weren't anything special, all these people who were there in His good grace, He healed. Why do you deserve to be spiritually healed? You don't. Those people on the shore, Jesus didn't have to heal them. 
is out of His grace and His mercy. In the same way, you and I, when we are spiritually healed by believing in Jesus Christ, it's not deserved. It's out of His good grace. It's a free gift. To whom did Jesus choose to heal? Did He heal the people who could tithe the most? Did He heal the people who, the young people, the old people? Who did He choose to heal? He chose to heal those who showed faith. He chose to, sh- to heal those who displayed faith. You hear what He said? Ended Mark with this. Those who, as many as touched it, were made well. It's not an action. It's not, we know this. They didn't come up to Jesus and touch. There wasn't anything special about His clothes. What was it? It was Jesus healing them in response to their faith. I believe this man can heal me. And they were healed. In the same way, you are spiritually healed when you trust in Jesus Christ. And you trust in Jesus Christ alone. Jesus Christ is our only source of spiritual healing in the entire universe. You are not made right with God for any other reason outside of Jesus Christ. You are not going to get to heaven in any other way other than knowing God through the person of Jesus Christ. That's the whole message of the book of Mark. Repent, Jesus says, and believe the good news. And have faith in the good news that Jesus Christ has come to die on the cross to take our sins and our punishment that we deserve and that all who see Him or that know that they're sick laying on that beach and all who see Jesus coming in faith knowing that we are a mess, that our faith is incomplete, that we are sinners, that we don't get the whole picture together, but all who see Jesus on that beach and reach out to Him in faith will be healed forever. We'll be with Jesus forever. So our question is, Christians... I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. We're going to enter a time of worship. My question is, Christians, what source of happiness and satisfaction are you pursuing outside of Jesus? We all have a Jesus-shaped hole in our heart. What are you trying to fill that hole with outside of Jesus Christ? It's not going to work. It's going to make your life miserable. Come to Him. Rest in Him. Find understanding in Him. Find healing in Him. Find satisfaction in Him. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, if you don't have faith in Him, if you don't trust Him with your spiritual healing, if you don't trust Him with your eternity, this church is going to echo what Jesus' message is. Repent, turn from your sins, and follow Jesus. Have faith in Jesus. Trust Jesus to provide everything we talked about today. He will. We know He will because He has for us.